2: morning, good evening, good afternoon, depending on uh, your time zone relative to where you are right now. Uh, I'm Sean and I'll be hosting tonight. Uh, Jared has spent a bit too much time in the sun today and got himself some sunstroke, so hopefully he's feeling a bit better soon and uh, back to help us out next week. Uh, Tonight I'm joined by Shane Beaton out in Melbourne. Is that right, Shane?
1: Yep, spot on. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, mate. It's uh, it's a lovely sort of almost summer's evening here. Sun's out. We've had the rain pass. It's it's beautiful. And uh, uh, apart from the weather, I know no one likes talking about weather too much, so I'll skip over that. But uh, very excited to know that we're going to have some new Noel Gallagher music in 2023. That's pretty much what I'm hanging my hat on so far this week.
2: All right. Okay. Uh, interesting. You must be skint. getting some new music out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice quality. How are you, mate?
2: Yeah, good, yeah. And just uh, not long in from work. It's uh, about 4pm here. Uh, so there's quite a big difference between our time zones, to be totally honest, but this is a good time for me. It lets me do stuff after as well. And I, I was on... Uh, I, I know we're supposed to talk about chronologically, but I thought we'd swap around and, and talk about the, the weekend's action first, uh, just so we could have a kind of broader discussion on Champions League, so... Uh, if that's okay, uh, I was actually on the the Axon match day at the weekend, doing the the pre match and the halftime and the post match, and it was uh, all very interesting. So I'll, I'll let you go first because I've got quite a few notes. Um, I, th- I think for me, the only real change in surprises really in terms of the fullbacks rotated, like they seem to be doing every time we've got a midweek, and um, Carter Vickers was back in and. Kyogo was on the bench with Jakimakis up front. First start together for Jota and Haks in and Turnbull came back into the team. Uh which was interesting as well. So what did what did you how did you enjoy the game? Did you watch it? Did you get up, watch it the next morning? Did you watch it live?
1: I actually um I've been a bit slack. I didn't actually watch it until last night. So I'd uh, I like I'd that. seen the result. Uh, seen a couple of highlights, but didn't actually get to sit down and watch it until last night, and so it should be fresh in my memory. So if I make any any kind of mistakes or errors, that's really bad on my part. But overall, look, I thought it was pretty uh, look a, a pretty solid performance in the end. Um, I thought getting that early goal, um, you know, helped, and obviously that backs up your statistic of. Uh, how we go on and get early goals this one was a bit of a uh, close run thing in the end but um, look I thought the overall performance was good I thought that um, if we're comparing sort of how it was you know back when it was 9-0 when they conceded that early goal they dropped a lot deeper like they defensively structure wise are a lot better than they were previously and it it was a lot harder for us I felt to 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 get anything particularly in the first half I, I thought they were pretty good. Second half, we started with a flurry of chances and kind of usual situation. We probably should have put a couple away. We should have been out of sight. Um, they shouldn't have actually probably equalized in the end. Um, but I, I, look, I thought we controlled the game for the most part in the first half and in portions of the second half. They grew into the game in the second half, I thought. They had a real flurry around, I can't remember if it was the 75th minute or something like that. And... You know, they had a couple of chances and then they just seemed to come out a bit more and play a little bit more. Um, their fullbacks were, were getting much higher up the pitch and actually getting into our half fairly easily. And it led to them scoring and which was a little bit of a shock, but then you look back at the footage of it and you're like, well, he's able to get the ball from the throw, he's able to turn, no pressure, and whip in a decent ball. I thought the response to that was really pleasing, though. You could tell instantly and and the we never stop mantra, you know is well known but there was just this instant right we have to make this right there's no kind of accepting a draw or just oh oh well you know we're just going to play this out it's like no 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 we're going to go and score and uh, I thought that was the most pleasing aspect really again probably one of those games where I think if we take our chances we're probably having a different conversation but fortunately we're able to in the end how about yourself how'd you see it
2: well that's the thing, isn't it? If we were as clinical as Dundee United were, we'd have been comfortable. And uh we'd have had them. and if we were as clinical as that and the Champions League, we'd have been had the Great Champions League campaign as well. And not just Dundee United, but St. Johnson were clinical on Sunday as well. Like don't mm. talk about that too much just now. We'll, <laughs> we'll deal with that one chronologically. But the in terms of yeah, that well, the two Dundee United goals. So definitely the the second one you're talking about, Dylan Levitt, um, he's a great player. I think he's and so to see him on the bench, like, it kind of tells you, like, you know, Arnold room is in there to break things up and he was doing a good job. You know, he was getting about being strong. And then when they're bringing Dylan level on, he's the one that's got that great touch and turn and a bit of technique. And that's what he did. And yeah, it was disappointing for us that, you know, he was able, you know, and let's be clear. He was absolutely tight and on the money with his receiving that ball and getting it in. But you would still have like someone to be closer to him before he, the ball is even in in its direction towards him, you know, especially that deep in the in the pitch. And there was three or four players uh, around him without a man. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know if it's one of those things where we're, we're just switched off, or it's a rigid structure kind of thing. But um, as soon as the ball is going in, you're just like because you know the camera angle. With the mm. Half a camera angle and you're like oh, no this is going on isn't it uh, and you can just tell kind of straight away even though you don't have that depth perception you don't have that good behind the post angle of it curling and you know when the keeper can't do anything joe Hart, he has to stay in the center goal because if tony walk is a header that's where it's going and you just you've seen it so many times and there's nothing you can do you, you'd almost be questioned like should goalkeepers be covering the back post in that situation but I would suggest that nine times out of ten, the, the striker is going to get ahead on it. Right?
1: It's just such a good ball in. Like, even if he doesn't need a touch in the end, but even if even if he does, like, that's just a glancing header either side of half. Mm-hmm. As far as I can tell, he's 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 rooted to the spot, but there's nothing he can do.
2: I said the pearls on the cross, right? Um, yeah. But, but yeah, they. I, I don't. Yeah, they didn't have too many chances. Like they, they, they obviously yeah. had their penalty. They had that. And they had the one that Taylor cleared off the line. And then from that resulting corner, they hit the post Uh, and then they had their second goal. And and I think that was it. really, there wasn't nothing else I could remember to be totally honest with you.
1: No, I think they had a couple of corners. There was a little bit of a run where they were sort of getting balls into the box and they were cleared that you wouldn't actually count them as clear cut chances, but there was definitely Mm -hmm. a moment um, might've been around the one where Taylor had actually cleared it. If I'm remembering correctly, um, where all of a sudden they just started to actually get into the box and they had a couple of chances, but nothing that clear-cut.
2: And that that was when they made their attacking subs at that point because that that is the general game plan of any team that's coming to Celtic Park is to try and just be one goal down uh, and then in the last 20 minutes, last 15 minutes, you know, push for a, a jammy equaliser or whatever. These teams are coming, like, even you can call it whatever you want. They're playing for a draw even when they're not playing for a draw, if you know what I mean. that like they're playing for the majority of the match to just be in touching distance come the last 15 minutes and make their subs. So we're used to seeing it and it works mm-hmm. almost worked for them, but luckily we have in our DNA, uh, that's just desire, uh, to, to just get over the line. Uh, let me just check my stats on this one. Uh, cause I did write it down. I make that, um, since October of last year, That is seven games where we have scored a winner uh, 84 minutes earlier. Oh, wow. And in that time, we've had five draws. So that's 12 games where we've been tied going into 84 minutes. And uh, sorry, did I say that right? 12 games, and then seven of them have scored a winner. So that's more than half. That's pretty. Fantastic to be honest. And I know a lot of people are chucking about the stats about us scoring 14 goals in the last 15 minutes. I don't I wouldn't read too much into that particular stat because you know we're fitter and teams heads go down. So if you're scoring like a sixth goal in the 90th minute, it's that I wouldn't read too much into that statistically, but in terms of breaking ties after 84 minutes, that's quite impressive.
1: There's a real emphasis um that you can or sort of visible presence that you can see. Nobody drops their head. There's, you don't see this visible kind of disappointment or, oh, you know, like heads dropped. Oh, we've let it. Like the first thing you see is like heart picking up the ball and throwing it back to the middle, basically, and mm-hmm. getting the ball back to someone. So let's restart. Let's go. Like there's just like a let's, let's move. You know, there's no kind of what, you know, like they've equalized. You know, you kind of see it sometimes. The heads drop, the frustration. You don't really see that. You just see a team that's like, okay, ball back to the middle. Let's start again.
2: Yeah. And it's, there's no desperation or panic either. It's, mm. it's, you have to have that kind of calm head thing going too, as well as, you know, on top of that, Um, Vinny here in the comments kind of said that we never stop. Uh, and when I was on, again, on Axum, we were referring to it as squeaky bum time, uh, which is a classic Alex Ferguson. Uh, quote as well uh because it was it really was sweaty arse time and for us as fans i should say but not for the players and that's the thing isn't it you could you kind of need that composure uh if you look towards Perth on Sunday when they're uh 2-0 down crossing the hour mark what did you do? Take off a center back, go to a back three, stick on a tall player up front. Do you know what I mean? Like none of that from Manj. We stick to our system, we stick to our game plan. We just And and I think we said this before you came on, Shane, but I think we said last year was plan B for Ange is just to play plan A better. And it was kind of, that's that's what it's like as well. At that moment, it's just keep doing what we're doing, but just do it with more intensity and keep doing it, you know?
1: Yeah, there's no kind of complete overhaul or significant change there might be some minor tweaks i mean seriously minor tweaks but at overall it's just like no this is this is how we're going to play and we just need to get better at it or we just need to apply ourselves better in the situation as opposed to making those kind of wholesale changes
2: i think i think we've come a long way from the days of stick the center back up front and launch the ball
1: Yeah, you're, you're more inclined to see someone, I think, like if you're ever going to see it, you're more inclined to see Stafford just step up into midfield and just continue to step up and maybe get a shot off one day. I don't think we're ever seeing sort of, you know, just stick the centre back up uh, up front and, uh, you know.
2: yeah. It's funny how football's changed like that, because that was used to get a lot of kind of fruit out of that. And it was certainly a go to. Somebody must have sussed it at some point. I don't know. I don't know.
1: Maybe, you know, sometimes things run its course or, you know, it gets to a peak where people say, no, that's enough now. That's like in t- TV terminology is called, you know, when a show jumps the shark. Maybe that <laughs> moment was when um, oh, I can't remember the manager who it was, but who threw David James up front for City. And he actually took him off the bench and played him up front. Maybe I that's the moment yeah. where they're like, Yeah, no, this was like a I don't remember. I a, do remember was it Ranieri?
2: Yeah. Was it Ranieri?
1: Uh I don't know. Was but it they, it's they, needed was. A, they needed the they needed an equalizer to go to Europe and so he got James off the bench and threw him up front.
2: I he earned I the penalty
1: that. by by you know, he earned the penalty, they they didn't score from it, they missed out on Europe because they missed the penalty. But maybe that's the moment where people are going, Maybe this has gone too far. <laughs>
2: Yeah. <laughs> well yeah, we've we've taken this as far as it goes. Now we're just <laughs> into absurdity. <laughs> um, in terms of individual performances, what uh got the Dafa Bet Manager match in the stadium. What did you did you agree with that or did you think someone else deserved it? <laughs>
1: It was close. I thought it was between him and Jota. I thought him and Jota were, were excellent together. I, I thought Jota was probably the better overall game and was more involved uh, than Hacks but he did score, obviously, a brace and he was pretty deadly early. I love the combo of them working together. I know Hacks was probably normally on the left as well, but having them both on the pitch at the same time just provided a level of sort of quality and, and in particular pace together that was just really exciting. We just looked like watching that sort of unfold, I thought, "Wow, this is this is probably something we should look at going forward." And I know that sounds a little bit harsh on Nevada because he's probably really done not done much wrong to lose his spot on the right. And even Forrest, you know, coming off a of hat trick a few weeks ago, but I just thought them working together. Um, there's something about the way that those two. Uh, work either side of each other, or either side of the pitch, together with Jacka That was just really exciting. Like I, I thought when that happened, and particularly when Haxa scored early, I thought we're on here for a pretty decent score.
2: The, the one thing for me, a big difference between Haxa Banovic and Abada is Abada moves so much more than Haxa Banovic. And I, I know there, there was some comments before the game, like him talking, Haxa talking about how tired he was and stuff like that. But like, generally, like broadly fatigued, not as in referring to any specific game Uh, but there's times when he does just kind of stand do you know what I mean? It looks very static in the last five minutes of the first half, he's very static but if we can get his fitness up, get his intensity up, what he definitely does have is just this incredible technique and Mm. the one thing that he showed immediately when he came in and he's still showing it in spells now is the, the weight of pass and the direction of pass that he can put in in uh, those channels in the final third, it's just incredible. Like you can just get it to slow right down in front of a player at the right time and just be in a great line. And that's something that Abada definitely doesn't have. But Abada does have movement, pace, uh, all those kind of things. And some when Abada, when Abada's on fire, he'll score three from three. But then when he's when he's off form, he'll, he'll miss six in a row. Do you know what I mean? And And he had that quality finish at the end. So yeah Mm.
1: that was a really good finish too like taking no credit away that was a tough shot
2: yeah and look if he was scottish he'd be the greatest player in the world because he's still only 21 so like he'd be getting linked with like man united and stuff like that if he was a scottish player but because he's israeli it's kind of like oh yeah and and also because he kind of looks older than he is as well i guess
1: yeah he's only a kid like the the up the upside for him and his ceiling is is huge still. And, um, you know, from what he's been able to achieve so far, I think he's only going to get better as his game progresses. It's it's actually really exciting. Vinny's
2: asking what you think this means for uh, Maeda's uh, position in the team in terms of the wingers.
1: Um, look, I think we're really dynamic. We've got uh, a good set of wingers, and I think they complement each other in terms of their respective sort of um, differences, so in terms of, you know, Maeda's is fantastic because of his unbelievable effort to just keep going and keep going and to track back and to work hard. I think he'd probably be one of the hardest working wingers, um, if not the hardest working wing we have. So he's got that ability that you can, I would see him more as coming on later, you know, that particular time, you know, defences are tired, fullbacks are fatigued, Maeda comes on, he's just going to run up and down the pitch. But then, you know, he probably doesn't have the same techniques that you would have. Uh, for, say, if you're looking at a player like Jota or Haksabanovic, And so I think that's where they complement each other. They they probably don't work the same as Maeda. They don't track back as well as Maeda. But what they don't do there, they make up for with just quality and techers, right? So, yeah, yeah. I, I I think it just – I think it balances it out really well. And I think that dynamic means that we're just – we we're able to have different options when needed. We don't have this kind of, we talk about having plan A and plan A getting better. I don't think that extends to just the players we have. There's obviously times where it's like this will suit Maeda here. Okay. We're going to have Jota here instead. And I think it works really well that way. So I don't think it does anything different to, to where Maeda currently is. Long-winded answer. Sorry, Vinny. I know that.
2: very <laughs> um, reckons he, he could maybe play number nine, like he did at Marinos.
1: And, you know, uh, when Liam's on, um, he mentions that he obviously, you know, I'm pretty sure he mentions that he gets played as a number nine for the Japanese national team, unless I've, I've misheard him. Yeah. No, he does, Liam, yeah. I if I'm wrong. So, Point, yeah, he, a forward, he, he, Yeah, I don't he think. has played as a nine, I think, a couple of times up front. It's just, uh, you know, if you're playing him as a nine, you're kind of displacing either Kyogo or Jakomakus. And it's like, yeah, I get it, but unless they're injured, or needing a risk, you're probably not doing
2: it i would also suggest there's a, a difference in uh, the japanese national team style of play uh particularly when they go to the world cup and they have to play germany and stuff like that uh, versus uh, playing for celtic when you're playing against these two banks of five you know whatever you want to call it uh, so i would suggest there's a difference there um what did you make of Turnbull's performance? He, Because uh, my first note of the game is that Turnbull's first touch is just a bad touch and he's lost possession. Uh, but I actually thought he, when we had our best spell in that first 15 minutes of the second half, I thought he was the kind of catalyst for that. I thought he was a great player there.
1: Yeah, look, it probably uh, kind of a game where he was sort of industrious without being necessarily front and centre in terms of people's minds as to, to who was the standout player on the pitch. But I thought he did his job really well. And uh, I thought that, like you said, in the second half, he looked really good. And and uh, during that that spell um, was quite crucial uh, to what we were trying to do. So, yeah, I thought he had a pretty good game. Um, I think, And I thought O'Reilly actually worked into the game really well. Uh, yeah, as well. I thought that's probably half. his best game for a while. Yeah, definitely. Second half, so I've got in my notes here, um, sort of late in the first half, he's okay, but second half I thought he was really, really good.
2: Yeah, there was there was two two times in the second half where the ball is coming out the sky with so high snow on it, and it's the sort of thing where every player in the world is trained to just get under it and try and header it to, to a safe area. doesn't even have to go into touch, just header it somewhere safe. And twice, O'Reilly just brings it under control and Takes a touch in the box, and went, absolute. <laughs> like the the balls of that. Never mind the skill to do that. Is it was crazy. I mean, I guess you probably don't do something like that when you're under pressure from a good team. But like <laughs> against Dundee United, that's probably you know that, that gives us an extra possession, an extra play, an extra chance at attack when you when do it, something w- like that.
1: When he did that, when he took those under control, I can guarantee you that that just somewhere down in the Midlands, Tom Rogic was smiling. <laughs>
2: yeah and Tom Ruggish will be not smiling in the Midlands for the next month and a half while he's sitting there watching <laughs> the World Cup um, moving on from that so we should probably talk about the big issue which is the the referees in particular the 8 minutes in or the 9 minutes in when we have uh, this astonishing uh, when Burnaby uh, makes a diving save uh, to stop the ball the net bound header from Stephen Fletcher going into the net I'm surprised he wasn't red carded for how egregious and serious that um, uh, deliberate handball was. What did you make of it?
1: Oh, look, um, I, I just don't understand anymore. I just don't like I'm throwing things out now. I just I can't quite wrap my head around it. It was just... You, you just almost have to jump up as if you're, a, you know, there's a quote here, like a spawning salmon. And it's almost like you have to do that now just to avoid any kind of potential penalty or handball being given against you. I just, I looked at it. I'm like, oh my God, like we're sure we, like, you know, I, I thought it took it, it. First of all, let's talk about the time. It takes way too long, right? This this They've got to sort the time out. This is... The whole system is for clear and obvious error. So the idea is that you see something, it's very obvious. No, you've got to look at that. You've missed something obvious, come and check it. It takes too long. Like it shouldn't take that long to make that decision. If you're breaking it down to different angles and if you're actually trying to judge how his arm was moving and you're probably getting, you know, people who've got like physics degrees and, You know, we don't know what they've got in their office. They've probably got a wallboard and a scientist saying his arm can bend at this angle and stuff like that. I don't know. But that's taking too long. All right. Um, But then, like, when he goes over to the screen, he's obviously got a decision to make saying, you know, am I going to back my original call? Or am I comfortable with the penalty? Uh, look, I don't agree with it. I I think it's wrong. It's just like, and he gets he gets booked for it, which is even worse. Like that's, that that yeah. was the that was the cherry on top here. Not only was it the wrong call for the penalty, he gets a yellow card. I was like, you're kidding.
2: Yeah, Dundee United players are Nobody's claim for it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And and with the broader conversation about uh, VR they they're doing a pretty good job of. Making It Look Crap. And this is what the title of the kind of episode is, and it was what I'd mentioned at the weekend, is that, like, you know, VAR's a good tool, but so is a kitchen knife. And if you give it to a bunch of monkeys, they're probably going to do some damage. So, uh, at the moment, giving VAR to Scottish referees is doing more damage than it's doing good. Um, I think MASH is campaigning for uh, some sort of artificial (laughs) intelligence to take over, uh, which is actually, like... With a as a science teacher, he's not far off. Like the probably you probably could get an AI algorithm to make a a better and faster decision. And to be totally honest, I wouldn't be surprised if the game goes that way in fifteen to twenty years from now.
1: My my main concern with the decision is there's just kind of no appreciation of that situation. Like he's jumped up in the air, he's gone to clear it. His arms like. You know, we, the IFAB rules about, you know, it's a little bit ambiguous. I've got to admit, if you someone read the rule out, I think it was on the Celtic TV broadcast, and they they read the rule out, and it is a little bit of grey area in a sense, you know, the, the ref has a decision to say, you know, if your hands or arms are natural, or if you're making yourself unnaturally bigger, you can do it. And so what I picture for that is if like you're going up for a header and you've just put your arms up in the air, yeah. like, okay, that that's, that's unnatural. That's not a normal kind of way to approach it. But he's literally just jumped up arms flailing. He's got he's, there's no deliberate intention in that at all. I thought it was, uh, it was an awful decision. I, I really, even for what we've been through, I still couldn't believe that was paid.
2: Yeah. And the, the as you say, the things that annoyed me, what actually annoyed me as well was Barnaby. So not to fully blame the refs, Burnaby should be avoiding that situation himself because he should be <laughs> heading that ball. Like, first of all, he jump, yeah, he jumps off the ground, but he actually ducks his head and it kind of glances off his head. If he actually puts a proper head on that, like Greg Taylor doesn't have that situation, for example. Greg Taylor heads that ball. bernaby even though he gets off the ground, he's actually ducked his head. He's made his head, mm. like his height smaller. So he's kind of, but he's a little bit to blame in that sense. Uh, and and then the other thing you're talking about with the yellow cards and uh, Vinny's mentioned ball didn't even go on target, but uh, the rule is that uh, if you're if it's a shot on target and your hand blocks, it should be a yellow. And that's basically made the substitution for us at halftime. We have no option mm. really at that point, uh, but to take Burnaby off. So these decisions are dictating who we've got on the pitch, uh, if nothing else. And I think... Was that five penalties we've had since VAR against us since VAR came in? Like,
1: I, 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 it's just it's terrible. And like, you go back to a couple of weeks ago at Time Castle, and you just go, "How on earth?" Like, that's a pen. But then you go back to Michael Smith and go, "How that's how's that not a pen?" Like, I don't know
2: and what happens if something, that exact decision, imagine that exact decision and as uh, your man here said in uh, a Celtic versus Sevco game like all hell, all hell breaks loose at that point, like uh, what does, what does the, the David Dickinson do when he's called over to a monitor and there's like 50,000 Sevco supporters wearing their tangerine strip shouting for that, do you know what I mean? Like what, what does he do at that point?
1: He he probably just he probably just pays it without going to the footage, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, look. (laughs) So far, as far as I can tell, there's not a single time where an official has gone to a monitor and and disagreed with whatever's been said in his ear. As far as I can tell,
1: it it's rare. Like we don't see it very much here either. Like you, you, I don't know the statistics on it, but I'd hazard a guess to say sixty to seventy percent of all sort of callovers to videos result in the, the decision being overturned. Um, But look, the the VAR problem in terms of the time and the length and even getting decisions wrong, as much as it's frustrating us here, I can definitely tell people watching it's not just a – it's most certainly not just a Scottish issue. It is elsewhere. We've got it here. Um, I think maybe just because it's just been introduced to Scotland, it's a bit of a rush of blood with everybody seeing it and going, this is bad. And don't get me wrong, it's bad, but it's not just a Scottish issue, by the way.
2: Yeah, and that's that's interesting, because they, the English thought they had it settled, and you're right, it's still a it's still a problem down there. And I think also part of the problem in Scotland is we've only got six cameras, where in England they've got, like, 33 or something like that. So we're getting kind of that problem as well. Yeah, I think Kenny Clark was on the radio at the weekend. I can't remember if it was him or someone else saying that, yeah, we're going to get better, da da da, da. Well, are you? like because like the only <laughs> difference between now and before is that before they just they just developed a good instinct for things and and for knowing what to ignore and what to connect what they could get away with whereas now they're actually getting a chance to look at things and exposing themselves of as not either not understanding the rules or not being able to interpret things correctly um when they get to see it correctly so it's almost like they're now seeing the game that the rest of us are seeing, and I, I think without them going full time, I'm not sure how those two things reconcile.
1: It's probably the only real kind of underlying positive is that you're going to get this kind of greater exposure of, as you said, people maybe not knowing the rules or maybe even having a, a an appreciation of the the ref situation in Scotland a bit more than maybe it was before, because you know you can't look at you can't honestly look at the one on the weekend. And go, that's the right decision. And that's that's not correct. And then you, you but then if you para um run it in parallel to Time Castle a few weeks ago, you just you just scratch your head.
2: And uh Mahesh has pointed out that he's suggesting we take advantage of it because at the moment it's working against us. And he's saying five to one, but I think it's five to two when you count the missed uh because I think the Real Madrid one uh and then we yeah, had the one against Willingston as well.
1: I was it? No, I'm not that, sure. Was that VAR? I don't think that was VAR. I think that was given.
2: Anyway, we've had a couple of penalties and missed them both, and uh, so I'm not sure because we've not. That's the and look. That's the only <laughs> penalties we've had this season. So <laughs> v, I guess VAR is helping us in the sense that it's now two penalties to the zero before we had VAR. Um, but it's like it's certainly not till now. It's not inhibited us from scoring goals. We scored four no. at the weekend again. And if you actually, so if you extrapolate the stats, and I did this just out of curiosity. Um, if you take our goal average and project it for the season, where if we maintain our scoring average, we'll score 134 goals uh, by the end of the season Uh, because we're on 46 at the moment in the league. Uh, So that extrapolates to 134. Care to guess what the record number of goals scored in a season is?
1: I'm going to say it's I'm going to say it's lower than that. Um, So it was was
2: the Rogers invincible season.
1: 120?
2: It's 106. Oh, not even close. So so the record is 106 and we're on track for 134. Now I'm sure we'll have a dip in form or something, but we're on if we maintain and look we've got the 9-0 in there which kind of is an outlier as well <laughs> but if we were to have another 9-0 and maintain our general whatever it is, 3.9 goals per game average we'd absolutely smash the previous records uh like it's, not even of i
1: was going to say it's an outlier for now
2: yeah and look there's we're basically 60 60 goals off of that record with 25 games left so what's that like two and a half goals a game yeah to, to, to beat that record so i'd say it's very much on the cards definitely
1: no nope. i wholeheartedly agree and shout out to jared with the uh the outlier of the nine nil game there'll be more <laughs> hello jared
2: <laughs> yeah now we, we should probably just quickly mention uh, that, uh there was a positive result in our favor on sunday uh <laughs> we're James Brown uh, got on up and scored his first ever <laughs> career goal. Thanks, Shane. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, that, yeah, that was uh, yeah. I was I, I was watching the game and like there was it looked like not a chance in the world. St. Johnson looked like absolute garbage, and then they just scored with their first attack. And then they actually came out and started playing the second. And Sevko, after they couldn't, uh, basically after the first half hour. They ran out of ideas, uh, to quote David Martindale, and uh, just could not get anything done other than uh, putting one into the... And look, the St. Johnston goalkeeper couldn't even see in the second half because he had the sun in his eyes and they could still only manage to pull one goal out of the bag. So that puts us seven points clear, which is delightful, uh, given that we're only 13 games into the season. Uh, this, I guess this is technically Postecoglou's biggest ever lead at the top of the league. Since we were playing catch up, most of last season.
1: Yeah, and um, I I wasn't watching the game, but um, I sort of remembered it was on. Jumped on and checked the stats just before halftime. Uh, it would have been just before uh, Brown scored, actually. And I I was just marvelled. I said, "How on earth is this? How is this still locked away at nil all? Like what is going on? Like this? It was just <laughs> mm-hmm. like they'd had like oh, it was just a ridiculous amount of shots. we have doing close to twenty shots, I think, or something like that." Um and 11 corners, 12 corners. I was like, how are they hanging on? And then, you know, the next thing I know, I was like, oh, they're probably just going to run away with it. Next thing I know, St. Johnson scored.
2: Yeah. And it's not like, St. Johnson had their backup goalkeeper. They had a boy who'd not played a game in a year starting in centre mid. You know, like, and Adam Montgomery on loan from Celtic was playing. Like, it was like and i was not surprised how bad st johnson were like the best their best player was andy considine that tells you and anyway <laughs> and just sefco just could not get the ball like they could the the st johnson goalkeeper was a flapper and they were just not doing anything to trouble him really like it was they had 20 corners i i wish we could have played them uh at the weekend and i, I wish we could have played them soon the world cup break is coming at a good time for them mm. uh It's coming. The only thing that's good about us for us is that it probably keeps Van Bronckhorst in a job, which is good for us. Uh, till we get to them on the 2nd of January, is that right? Monday, yeah, I think so.
1: That and that could be, um, depending on the result, that might be Geo's last game.
2: (laughs) Well, that's a fair, a very fair point. Uh, so let's uh, pushing on, we've spent a good half hour on this game, so let's chat about Real Madrid. Uh, did you want to talk about the game? It was. We can probably cut and paste uh, any previous comment from any previous Champions League game, you know, like played well, tried hard, weren't kind of cool, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah, pretty much thought the same thing. I thought, though, that they that they had a lot of quality on the pitch and and they just uh, tore us apart. And I think particularly a big difference between us and them on the night was just their pace, particularly up front, um, was, was pretty noticeable, you know, Asensio, uh, Vinicius Jr., Rodrigo, like they were just buzzing about. Particularly Asensio, I thought he was probably best player on the park. He was exceptional. And that that, that goal that he scored off the half volley was just sublime. What a finish. Um, but no, yeah, similar. We had our chances. Um, I thought they they did a good job of really sort of we, – we didn't seem to play, like particularly the fullbacks, I felt. Like that's probably the most ineffective I thought our fullbacks had been for a while. I just really did not see them having any kind of involvement in the game whenever they kind of stepped into midfield, it just felt like they were crowded out. They weren't able to get on the ball as much and and dictate play. And particularly with Juranovic, um, I I didn't think he had a great game and that penalty kind of summed it up really. Do you think he's checked out? (sighs) I don't know if he's checked out or just not in a good spot. Like I think he's just in a bit of a dip and um, it just seemed to really come to the fore. Like he, he wasn't good. I, I, you know, and Taylor, you know, credit or, or you know to be fair you know i didn't think taylor had a good game either i thought our two fullbacks they weren't necessarily poor they just weren't allowed to play the game that they are usually used to playing and they, they didn't really deal with that very well i thought they, they did a good job of curving the influence that they usually have um but no i just think he's in a bit of a dipper form and that penalty kind of highlighted it um just a really kind of tame effort
2: and in terms of um the talking about Well, Posse came out. I can't remember if it was at the AGM or close to the AGM and talked about player turnover and basically telling us to expect players to leave. Uh, And the names that keep coming up are Yranovic and O'Reilly. O'Reilly, not surprisingly, um, when you start getting man in the matches in the Champions League and and when you're eligible as one of the homegrown players for any English team in the Champions League, uh, you would expect that's... Kinda, of, that that's not surprising in that sense. Uh, and the Uranovich one was one that was surprising in the summer when his agent first put the story out there. So in the sense, it wouldn't be surprising now if he goes in January. And and certainly, I think broadly speaking, people are kind of thinking Ralston is ahead of him a little bit now on, on recent performances. Uh, yeah, and, and I guess my concern is. We do a lot of switching about with the fullbacks in terms of rotation. So if juranovic does go, you'd have to be looking at a transfer market, right? Who else goes in there?
1: No, you need a replacement. We we play too much of that kind of dynamic switching of the fullbacks, as you said, to just rely on on, mm-hmm. on Tony, as good as he is. And trust me, you do a, a good job, but it's always good to have someone there as well because competition isn't just about making sure that you've or having other players I should say isn't just about making sure you've got um you know the right player at the right time it's also about competition you know about actually pushing each other on saying well I've got to lift my game because I've got a very good replacement behind me so Juranovic not playing so well at the moment Ralston steps in Ralston does a good job Ralston's not really done anything to warrant being dropped now so then all of a sudden you know if Juranovic stays around he's Got to get his opportunity and make sure he maximises it, right? So that's why it's good to have that extra pressure on on a team that that's kind of pushing themselves along. Um, but yeah, we'd need somebody. Um, and uh, look, I think probably also, I don't know if it was just to simply combat specific rumours, but you know, I think Ange is just trying to make people realise, you know, as a club, sometimes it might be hard to hold on to quality players, as as you and I well know and jared would know as well and has commented on before and maybe he's just sort of preparing people to say listen these are good quality players they're young their heads are going to get turned there's other you know opportunities that might arise so you know trying to just making people aware and he'll have a plan you know it's always about the one person goes out one person comes in one person steps up kind of approach so i have no doubt that he'll have something in mind and he'll be preparing away in the background as he usually does but um look it was an interesting discussion but I think it was more just to make people aware hey look we'll have turnover it's going to happen just be prepared for it
2: John's there saying uh, 20 million for Joranovic I don't necessarily think so because he's not going to I don't because he's not going to have as much of a sell on when you sell a player that's 22 23 the team that's buying them can expect to then sell him on for more um, I think he's probably more likely to head to somebody like Leicester for about fifteen, to be honest, rather than twenty. Um, but O'Reilly's a different one. He's the one that you would be looking for, I think, in my opinion, in the twenty million range with a with a like t- you know, fifteen percent sell on or ten percent sell on or twenty percent of profit kind of sell on cause. Um w- yeah, would well, you do you agree, disagree?
1: No, I agree. You know he's he's very young still, and in you know the other thing about him recently being deployed in a deeper position is obviously now he's added another string to his bow. So that's just only going to enhance his his value. So no, I totally agree. Um, yeah,
2: in in terms of who's coming in, you're talking about next man up, and we, something that we stated in terms of the, whether explicitly and and implicitly in terms of the changes we made in the summer is that we're we're looking for more talent to come through from the youth team and um <clears throat> i think from everyone that i've spoke to recently about the whenever a subject comes up is we all kind of think rocco vata is the kind of next man up from the youth team unfortunately he's a winger which doesn't really help mm. us if a right back or, or center mid leave uh so we probably are looking at the transfer market at that point or do you think there's anyone else ready to make the step up from the youth team
1: It's a bit of a step up i'd probably be looking at transfer market to be honest uh trying to bring somebody in and um we obviously had a good run with that with Juranovic coming in right so i think um i think we'd go back to that well to be honest um yeah no i'd go transfer market
2: and but that kind of also touches in the broader conversation of you know again recent interviews we want to be competing in the champions league so yeah first of all win the league we're well on track uh to qualify for the Champions League next year and but do in terms of yeah how do you see us being that team that competes in the Champions League uh do we need to hold on to players for longer do we need to create more of a pathway for youth players do we need to be signing more expensive players taking more gambles on players in the 7 to 12 million range and competing with Porto and Ajax and Benfica and creating turnover that way? What, what do you think we as a club should be looking to do?
1: It's a tough question. I think youth development's probably the one thing I'd look at and, and target as, as something going forward. I think if you get a decent youth development system and have youth players actually coming up through the system, I think at the end of the day, you either get the benefits of it yourself by having them excel and jump into the team and actually be part of the first team, or you know they don't get an opportunity, and you're able to to sell them on in some capacity and get a and get a fee for them. Um, I, I think I think youth development for me is the one thing I'd like to see more come through. Like I was excited when we had Owen Moffat, for example. Um, I thought he was someone that was going to potentially make the step up, um, and you know he went, and so that was a little bit of a pity. And obviously Ben Doak's the obvious one that comes up a bit. Uh, in discussion, in terms of you know, it would have been good to keep him around as well. Look, youth development for me, I, I think probably I was thinking about this the other day actually, how we judge this Champions League campaign, and I, I don't think you can finish bottom of the group, um, and not and judge it as a success, right? I don't think you can do that. That's too much of a stretch. You can't look at what we've just been through and go, that was a successful campaign. You can't. It's it's. Not possible,
2: but I'd argue you can... successful performance-wise, but not results. Yeah,
1: wise. yeah, exactly. I think overall you can't say it's a success, but at the same time, I wouldn't say it's a failure either because I thought the way we played and our involvement against some pretty decent teams was actually very good. And you know, if we're more clinical on the day. We're in the Europa League, or possibly, you know, still in the Champions League, right? It's. I think we need to be a bit pragmatic about the way we view it, and I think that just comes down to a lot of experience. So this gets back to your question of: Do you bring more people in, or do you stick with the current team? I think you do a mixture. I think you 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 fill where you need to, but you want to have a core group of players if you can that are familiar with the system and what you're trying to employ, um, and are able to then. Uh, kind of bring about the best without sort of having to to relearn it, if you will, right? So Mm -hmm. if you make wholesale changes, you bring everybody in, right? It's all about getting used to each other. How do we play together? How does this all work? Whereas if you have a core and then you bring a couple in, it's easier to integrate them and say, this is how we play. This is what we want you to do. I'll do this. I already know what I'm going to do. This is what I expect from you. And so I think that's where it works. So I think it's a mixture of, to be honest, all three, youth development is a big one for me. But I think keeping a core group together and in, you know, filling positions where you need to. I I don't know necessarily if we have to go for totally top of the line expensive players. I actually think what we've done so far in the transfer market has yielded pretty good results and I'd probably stick to that path. Um, And I think it's just about building that experience and simply getting more people to buy into plan A and continuing to make plan A better.
2: Yeah, in terms of the youth versus recruitment thing as well, if you look at, so Ajax and they kind of went away with it, I guess, when they they spent £22 million on some Sevco fullback, uh, but <laughs> they uh, historically have gone to youth, uh, and including signing youth players and bringing them through, and what that kind of resulted in them was a very up and down, uh, like they'd have down years and up years. And look, their up years were outstanding. You know, 2019, they got to the Champions League semi-final. So like the sky was the absolute limit for them, but they, their fans accepted that there would be, you know, one in three years where they would not be competing for the league or the title or, you know, winning the title was never a given in those years where the youth players were getting uh, bled in. And um, Porto, uh, Liam uh, in the comments here has mentioned uh, Porto style. The Porto system slightly different as well and that what they have is like four or five big earners players on like 40 50 000 the brazilians that they're, they're bringing in that they can like like for example when they bid 14 million pound on in cham he would have been a big earner that they were looking to move on for 30 40 million to make a profit on uh but then the rest apart from those four or five players the rest of their squad will be on less than eight thousand a week uh you're kind of David Turnbull level of salary. Whereas we have like so many players in the 10 to 20 range, you know, like uh, Forrest and people like that, they, they wouldn't be in that, that kind of portal system. So we, we have this kind of more of a spread out thing compared to um, portal And, and in terms of Ajax, they have to kind of accept the way their system works is they kind of accept having down years. So, <laughs>
1: I'm where where do you sure. sit on it? Where do you I'm sit on it? What sure
2: do you think, think works? I'm not sure we can even model ourselves on either of those, to be honest. Like, I don't... I mean, how many? when was the last time we had a player that was under 21 come in and establish themselves in our team? McGregor was over 21. Forrest, Forrest did, but he didn't really establish mm. himself. And you could argue that was because of injury. Tierney, is that that's it, really? Yeah, probably, probably
1: Kieran Tierney,
2: to be honest. And who before that? Sean Moline, maybe?
1: Yeah, yeah, probably. Like, was right in between. A way there. <laughs> Steve
2: McManus was over 21, I think, when he came in the team. Um, Stephen Craney was about 21. Ralston didn't establish himself till he was 22. So, like, it's pretty rare to get someone in our youth team with enough quality to... Uh, Enough quality that uh, they they can establish themselves, and and not just that because they need to have the quality to be allowed to develop with fans. I still remember it was it must have been eighteen months in the team before fans got off Callum McGregor's back, and Mm. you know like he was getting pelters for so long. Honestly, I I reckon it was at least eighteen months, and look where he is now. So that's the kind of development time that we're looking at if these players are coming in i think Tierney was yep. at, Tierney's an outlier there's nobody else at Tierney.
1: no no there really isn't
2: and, and look if we could get a bunch of keaton Tierney's coming through amazing we would love that but uh it's not looking i don't know i mean that's that's kind of that's the, again that's the IX system if you can get lucky right
1: agreed agreed i think i think your uh approach to it it Totally spot on. It's hard to yeah. see how that system would work for us. Uh,
2: yeah. Liam's mentioned how ones like Liam Morrison go to Bayern Munich and uh, then you Ben Bettingham going to Liverpool and even the goalkeeper going to Watford, stuff like that. It's mm. uh, The better we do, since we introduced our academy system, or uh, tie-in with uh, the school, I forgot the name of the school, but since we've uh, had that system, it's working for these youth players, uh, St. Minions, I think, Uh, but it's also working for Liverpool and Bayern Munich. You're saying, yeah, we'll have some of that and taking the players away. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we need rules protection. How do you think? So next year is the kind of last time we'll have the eight groups of four. And after that, we're going to the 36-team league where we could be playing anyone across the 10 games that we're going to be given. So we'll be going from six games to 10. So that's going to be an increase in revenue. Uh, guaranteed even if it's gate money only even if tv money doesn't increase we'll be getting an extra four uh an extra two home games uh of gate money so that's an extra i don't know what five million straight away uh and let's assume some more from gate money but assuming we're on track to playing this last chance next year how do you see it changing the year the year later We'll still be it will still be unless the coefficient drops we should still be getting straight into it but how do you see it changing when we're playing against nine different teams
1: and in terms in terms of our approach or just, just
2: in, yeah in terms of our approach you know how's it gonna affect us domestically how's it going everything like
1: well it's four more games isn't it I guess that's the that's a, that's the first thing that springs to mind is you've got uh four extra games so that you've got to deal with where obviously you know we like to top and change there's no doubt and I don't know the the scheduling very well of this new comp. I assume it's going to be similar in a sense that you play midweek and then come back and play the league on the weekend. I don't know. I, I really don't know. I, I think it's just adding a little bit of or a bit more extra load than uh, than what we've currently got. And it's probably going to dictate a few decisions made uh, either with transfer market of or re-signing of players because um, – Look, looking at it at a very very basic level if you add more games you're going to need to make sure you've got more people around to step up when needed and so all of a sudden you're probably going to need to make sure you've got extra cover than what you did before kind of thing
2: Do you think having that extra income, again assuming we maintain our momentum going into that do you think having that extra income will cut us off from the ulcerans of Scotland?
1: I don't know i'm not sure because there's what obviously you... a gap already
2: you know like david david martindale was out after the last Levinson game saying that we are 30 to 40 times their budget and with this if we are consistently qualifying now and they start to expand that income then we're going to be even higher now mm. after that i think yeah, it's a it's, tough
1: one what what do you yeah. think um about the comp yeah. as well, by the way, like, what do you think about how we're going to go in the comp with the extra games?
2: Uh, to be honest, I'm happier to be playing a greater variety of teams, because like, when you 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 know, when you get drawn you're getting three teams, it's amazing, but then by the end of it, you're like, oh, okay, we're playing them again. You know, like, so to be able to have just a bit more variety and a bit more unknown about it, and a bit more choices, because that's what you look forward to in the draw, isn't it? You're like, oh, I've not had Real Madrid before. Like, that was the yeah. greatest thing we'd draw. Like, yeah, we're playing European Champions and we're going to get spanked twice, but we've not played them for. Do you know what I mean? Like, in, I guess it's less relevant for you and I in Australia, but like, certainly the people in Scotland never had a trip to Madrid to enjoy, um, to the Bernabeu. And, um, so yeah, it'd be good to get that, I think. Yeah. yeah um, it's all yeah. change. This European system, it's all changing. Mm. But we should, I guess, talk about uh, not just Celtic in Europe, but Celtic in Australia. So, yes. uh, we're coming down to the Sydney Super Cup and what is it? About 13 days from now, something like that, just under two weeks. Yeah,
1: next next Thursday is the first game between Sydney FC and Celtic. Yeah, and they've so changed the kickoff eight,
2: time for the Everton oh, game.
1: They have. So I think it was eight oh five uh, on Sunday evening Australian time, Melbourne time, I should say. Sorry, Sean. Um, and it's now uh moved ahead six hours, I think, to two oh five pm. Um, at yeah, two
2: forty five. Two forty five.
1: 245 okay so close to 6 hours so that's a that's a bit of an interesting one i don't really know what's dictated that there's a few things flying about I could, that I would could explain have a guess what do you think are you going to say something to do with police enforcement i was going
2: to say alcohol and police in- slash
1: police uh, <laughs> we're, we're on <laughs> the same wavelength yes um i i did wonder like um i don't know how relevant this is so anyone in sydney if i get this totally wrong i'm sorry i can just yeah john agrees Yep. john agrees (laughs) Uh, i did wonder potentially if the train strikes were still ongoing and maybe the government was i don't know concerned that there might be some strike action and it would just be harder to get people available i don't know if this is still ongoing people who are listening or watching in sydney hit me up in the comments telling me i'm wrong and totally out of my depth go for it but um i did wonder if the train strikes were still going and that might be a thing but yeah, it could just be the fact that obviously people were sort of um, getting a bit liquored up and doing that for quite a num- number of hours and then heading out to Homebush.
2: Yeah, I reckon the, the Sydney police have got on to the Scottish police and be like, hey, we've got this game up, coming up, any tips? And the, the Scottish police have been like, oh, yeah, sure. What time's the game on? 8 pm? Like, what? On a weekend? Are you nuts? <laughs> like, <laughs> you're going to be drinking for. Like twelve hours, uh, so I reckon that's probably what's happened there. To be honest, and the Sydney police have panicked. Uh, it's a when the the old kickoff time made a lot of sense for TV because now it's going to be on at three forty five a.m. and on Sunday in Scotland, which is. I don't. That's uh, welcome to our world. Yeah, I was about to say
1: shout out to everybody in Scotland (laughs) tuning in, getting up at, uh, uh, I can't remember the exact phrasing that Jared uses, stupid hours of the morning or something like that. Yeah. Welcome to our world.
2: (laughs) And uh, I was really, I really enjoyed Postacoglu's comments. Uh, He was asked actually, I don't even think he was asked about, he wasn't asked about Sydney directly. He was asked about, Uh, international players, uh, specifically the Scotland squad because Scotland's are playing Turkey and I think he he was asked about the players going to that and he just went well it's not compulsory for us to release them so we're going to take all of our players that are not going to the World Cup we're bringing them all to Australia because the fans have paid good money uh, to see a strong Celtic team so we're going to be playing a strong Celtic team and um, I was absolutely delighted to hear that
1: yeah absolutely i read that today and i i thought that's that's excellent and to be honest it's what i expected I, I thought he would do that i think he knows um what it means i think he appreciates the the occasion and uh you can see that in that quote so it would have been I, a I one-way you... conversation with steve clark i think <laughs>
2: yeah no i don't know about you guys and uh, maybe it's different for people in sydney but like yeah, I know he's talking about people spend the money and and it's, everyone in Scotland's just going, oh yeah, 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 yeah. How much is a ticket? Well, to be honest, I, I, our ticket was what is it like, we had some of the cheaper tickets uh, and they were a like hundred dollars each. So I've got a hundred dollars on a ticket, which and again, if you're listening in Scotland, just have that basically half that to get pounds. So like fifty pounds a ticket. Uh, I'm paying six hundred dollars for flights return, so that's like three hundred pounds. Uh, Four hundred dollars for accommodation, two hundred pounds. And then I've not even, that's not even talking about buying a paint yet. So I'm like 600 pounds slash $1,200 or whatever it is. My math is probably wrong there uh, before I've even had a drink or food. So yep. when I'm just talking about paying good money, he's not just talking about the ticket price.
1: No, exactly. And it's a, it's a big event and everyone, uh, you know, Celtic fans all around Australia are jetting in for it. Um So, like yourself, um, or, or anyone out in Queensland, of course. Which I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, John's out in Queensland. So you know, plenty of um, plenty of people jetting in from all over Australia, and you know, I'm sure everyone knows this. It goes out saying, Australia's pretty big. Um, it takes yeah. a while to go from one side of Australia to the other, and it, if it if, if it, it takes a while and it costs a lot, so um, yeah, to to get that reassurance that no, it's just not going to be. Um, it's going to be a team with the stars and the people you've come to love. Um, yeah, that that was really pleasing to hear. I do Just getting back to the kickoff time, I, I find that really a harsh decision. Uh, so late in the piece, like if it was earlier, maybe when they'd made the decision to switch opponents, sure, I could kind of appreciate that. But we're talking, you know, less than two weeks out or three mm-hmm. weeks when it was announced or close to two weeks. <laughs> you've got people f- literally flying in on the day of that game in the l- late morning, early afternoon for the game that night, who now are probably in a situation where they've got to do a mad dash, drop off their bags and head out to Homebush. It's not conducive to people who are actually coming in on that day. I I think it's really unfair. and um, I was surprised it was made so late. Um, I think that was really poor.
2: Yeah. To be honest, it actually works slightly better for me in the sense that I'm working on the Monday. So it was like, (laughs) I was going to have to... Just go home to bed and uh, after the game, but now I can actually get a couple of beers in after the game, which should be good for me. Um, Liam O'Connor in the comments saying he's coming from Tassie or if he's just talking about uh, other people coming from Tasmania, uh, which again is a... For those in Scotland, that's over the water. So he's not just, uh, you can't just hop in a train kind of thing. It's a, a big Yeah,
1: you, you can travel overseas and still remain in Australia. It's impressive.
2: <laughs> exactly. And then one player that's, uh, so Calmack will be out, I assume, uh, unless he's out. From what I've understand, he's not coming back to after the World Cup. And and the other big out, the only other only other out is the player who we have in our books that has played for both Everton and Celtic, which is James McCarthy, <laughs> who has apparently wrecked his hamstring somehow. I don't know it's how. ironic, he, isn't it? Yeah. Like he must have sat up in bed the wrong way or something. Like <laughs> I don't think he's seen the pitch since that's St. Johnson game where he got the late assist.
1: I don't, I don't know why i've just got this picture of him hopping out of bed and just like literally grabbing his hamstring going "Uh oh look i've done it you know like literally just hopping out of bed or maybe hopping out of the shower and just like oh no nah, hamstring's gone it's like so innocuous
2: <laughs> now, now that we've lost that uh Celtic Everton connection we we'll need to get like uh Alan Stubbs at retirement or uh, <laughs> Thomas Gravison or something something like that getting him on for a little cameo
1: such a pity. I, I, I mean, I profess I'm a bit of a James McCarthy fan, and and I'd love to see him get a bit of a, a bit more of a run. And I was actually excited, so I thought, you know what, he might actually come out here and play. And so when I read, I didn't actually know the news until I saw it on the run sheet. Mm-hmm. I was just a bit, bit crestfallen.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It's only just been announced, and it was again. It was the same interview where we were talking about uh, releasing the international players. So it wasn't really well advertised in advance. Uh, So I guess we're kind of slightly projecting ahead. We should talk about the game tonight. Is it tonight? Yeah. And uh, Saturday. Yeah, Saturday as well. So we've got Motherwell away tonight. What do you see happening there? Shall we assume the fullbacks are getting rotated? Is Kyogo going to come back in? What else?
1: Yeah, look, I probably think that exactly as you said, I think the fullbacks will get rotated. Um, So, well, actually, I I did wonder, though, whether, and it's not really necessarily his style, but I did wonder if Ange was kind of going to maybe for a couple of the international players who were going to the World Cup. Um, I might ask this first because I don't actually, I can't recall off the top of my head. Juranovic, did he make the World Cup squad? Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so I, I did wonder with players like Juranovic, like Moy, whether Ange may choose not to actually play them. Um, just because mm. we are so close to the World Cup, just as a gesture of goodwill to not have them injured. So, I'm not convinced Juranovic will come in. I'm not convinced we'll see him tomorrow, uh, tomorrow morning. Yes, our time. Um, or on the point. weekend. That I had
2: not thought about. That's a great point.
1: And so, I think uh, either he probably him and Moy sit it out. So, um, I'd say, uh, Bernabe, uh, probably out for Taylor. It's, it's tempting to leave Bernabe in actually, actually thinking about it. Um, Ooh. Carter Vickers
2: is another one. He'll be going. Uh, I don't know if that's been, again, don't think that's been announced, but it's um, you would assume Carter Vickers is going.
1: Yeah, so I I think um, we obviously saw in the Champions League, Jens and Starr felt together. Um, Maybe Ange will want to actually persevere with that kind of partnership building up, so he might stick. I'd probably see maybe Taylor coming in, but it wouldn't surprise me if he sticks with Bernabe. So similar kind of back four to what we saw on the weekend, I think, although with Carter Vickers out and maybe Starfelt coming back in.
2: Perfect, uh, oh, Vickers. Oh, you said rested. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah rested. So, um, in terms of the middle of the park, probably similar to the way, it wouldn't surprise me if he sticks with the same three in the middle. So, O'Reilly, Hatate, and Turnbull. Um, mm-hmm. And then up front... I, we probably see some rotation up front it wouldn't surprise me if he puts haxa back on the left um and maybe brings Abada or Forrest in on the right and kyogo leads the line
2: yeah i'd be keen to see forest play actually he's been in good for him recently um although maybe he's more suited to a home game against ross county he, you almost have to think about the two games together do you know what i mean like ross mm. county play a bit more width than Motherwell do so like do you want Taylor in for that game rather than Burnaby? They both played 45 at the weekend, so you could toss the coin there. Do you know what I mean? Maybe play Burnaby against Motherwell, save Taylor for county who've got play more down the wings. Um, do you reckon... Juranovic, uh, because they didn't even get off the bench the weekend. And Until you said that, I hadn't even thought about the fact that Juranovic and Moy were both dropped and they're both going to the World Cup. And Carter Vickers was rested against Real Madrid. Also, going to the World Cup. I hadn't even thought about it. And and like there was the headline today about Sadio Mani getting uh, an injury scare before the World Cup. And I don't know if it's good psychological management uh, to take these players. Because, you know, they're going to, surely you're going to pull out a 50 50 when the World Cup's next week. Do you know what I mean? Like, Mm. so I don't know if it's just good management or anything i don't know what do you think
1: like so i think it's a good management on a personal level i think you i think at the end of the day Ange is pretty close to his players i think he's wrapped that they're getting selected for the national teams and going to a world cup and Ange, in particular you know managed australia at the 2014 world cup so he knows what it's like he knows how important it is and i think he appreciates that and I think personally, he would be crestfallen if he was to pick someone like a Moy or Urenevich or Carter Vickers and they picked mm-hmm. up an injury against Ross County or Motherwell and, and then couldn't go. I think I think he would he probably he would not show it probably at face value, but I think you know behind closed doors he'd be pretty upset. So it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if he just chooses to, uh, as a course of personal man management, say, listen, I'm just going to keep you on the bench. If we need you, we'll bring you on. You know, there's going to be some risk there, but overall, I think we've got enough, enough depth that we can have you guys sit on the bench and then you go to the World Cup relatively unscathed. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it's not like we're not... I know he's been a little, a little bit disrespectful to Scotland by saying, you know, our £3 million or £5 million tournament matters more, but in... I know he's he's one hundred percent right. Like you cannot argue with that. that. Like a Scotland bounce game against Turkey is going to get like whatever seven hundred thousand pounds for the Scottish FA. Good for you, Scottish FA. Um, but also <laughs> like um, five million pounds for Celtic because it's just objectively more important than that, you know. So it's a little bit disrespectful, but also can't argue with it. Um, but yeah, what, what's your score prediction in then, Madril game?
1: Uh. One, I think we'll concede, but um, we'll I think we'll be relatively comfortable and win 4 1. Yourself,
2: I feel I feel a 2 0. And then count county the weekend, I think it's Saturday 3 pm in Scotland, which means it's 11 pm for me, which means it's 2 am for you. Are you getting up?
1: Uh, <laughs> Watch in the morning. Yeah, I might watch it in the morning. I don't know. It, it depends how Saturday goes. I'll be working Saturdays, so it depends how I feel. Um, oh, crazy! But uh, yeah, I know, right? Look, sometimes I do it. It's look if it was one a.m. Uh, maybe damn daylight savings, but I um, will mm. probably watch it in the morning. But um, look, I think I almost think you'd be similar in terms of lineup here. I wouldn't see that many changes. To be honest, between the two games. Um, the only thing I could possibly see is exactly as you talked about, whether you switch out Bernabé and Taylor. That's pretty much it. I think most of it stays stays the same. Um, maybe you play Jackamacus against Ross County instead of Kyogo. Um, that's about it. So
2: so who are you backing in for a hat trick? Home games, <laughs> home games equals hat tricks?
1: Uh Jotter. It's joda He's just in well, it's I should I should know this. I'm sorry for asking. Jota did did he end up making the Portuguese World Cup squad or he's
2: in? No, uh, they've not announced their squad yet. They're still he's on the 55 man squad. Uh, I'd be very surprised if he actually makes the 26. But um, yeah, he's in. Yeah, I, I it, wouldn't I wouldn't expect to. Well, Riley's still not because uh, Denmark have announced 21 players and they've not announced their final five. So Riley's still a chance, but uh, it's looking unlikely to be totally honest.
1: He's close. I think he's he's you know in the conversation, but maybe not this time. Um, and I think Jota's probably recent run of injury, probably hasn't helped his chances, unfortunately. So mm-hmm. uh, assuming he sticks around and, and doesn't get called up, I'm going for him for a hat-trick. I think his form at the moment just against um, Dundee United on the weekend, I thought he was exceptional. I thought that he was just back to his best. He looked like everything he touched turned to gold. And, yeah, I, I think he'll bag a hat-trick
2: yeah and just to mention Ross County have won their last two games let's just it was they beat Hibbs 2-0 last night and they won at the weekend I believe against uh, I beat St.
1: Merrin I think
2: St. Merrin that's right so Hibbs and St. Marin who were third and fourth respectively recently and Ross County have just beaten them both uh, so let's not uh, we can't be taking it for granted for sure <laughs> um, but I still I think I do think we will win 3 or 4 Um and or cousins you know, across the, the city. They've got, uh, the Edinburgh, Edinburgh Huns tonight. And then they've got, uh, a trip to Paisley on Saturday or Sunday. Not sure what day it is this weekend. So John's mentioning some Sevco tears. I think it'd be nice if they, that's two hard games for them. You know, mm. I know hearts like to lie down at, in, in Glasgow particular, um, St. at home have not been conceding a lot of goals that's a tricky one for them and if we can get 6 points and if they drop anything then that's a big thing going into this break
1: To a double, double digit lead by my count, uh, so 10 point lead if they drop points and we pick up 6 points or if they, if, if they lose one or even if they draw it's potentially a 9 point lead going into a World Cup break it's pretty big
2: yeah, it's fine margins in the game lead to big margins in the table. Like If we hadn't scored that last goal, uh, they probably get a lift from us dropping points and, and go out and beat St. Johnston on Sunday, and then it's a two-point gap. But we scored last-minute goal, they're deflated, and they underperform on the Sunday, get beaten. It's a seven-point gap. So you could almost credit Kyogo with creating a five-point gap in uh, five <laughs> minutes of a game.
1: Yep, he deserves all the plaudits he can get.
2: So hopefully we can extend the lead between now and Sunday. Uh, and we'll just start wrapping up there. Um, just a quick plug to, uh, during the World Cup, which uh, starts in two, one and a half, two weeks, uh, around about the same time, South Sydney. Sydney, uh, Liam Carrigan and Laura Bradburn. Uh, so Liam of our podcast and Laura who... Is one of our partners over at A Celtic State of Mind. We'll be doing a World Cup podcast on our channel. So if you are a fan of Liam or Laura, uh, particularly Liam's views on communism, which will come to the (laughs) fore at some point, um, please get subscribed uh, to our channel. It will be broadcast on the Celtic down under YouTube and uh, Twitter and Facebook. And next week, also uh, with the... We'll do a little bit of preview of the, the Sydney Super Cup, obviously, uh, and a review of the Motherwell and Ross County games, but we'll also have a Q&A section. So if you have any questions you'd like to put to us next week, please send us a message on Twitter, and we'll be sure to bring them up in the Q&A section next week. Uh, other than that, any final th- thoughts, Shane?
1: Yeah, Um uh, I've been really getting into, or I'd previously watched. This is a show on the ABC for those international who uh, may not be familiar with it. But I've been really into a comedy on the ABC called Fisk, starring the uh, irrepressible Kitty Flanagan. Um, and the series two is on at the moment, and it's a really good, really subtle kind of comedy uh, in regards to a law firm. And uh, look, I've been thoroughly enjoying it on a Wednesday evening. And uh, if anyone gets a chance to check it out, I'd uh, highly recommend it. I, I think you'd love it.
2: Thanks, man. And uh, if you are out east in Australia, I would recommend you get along to a show which is happening in the next uh, week and a half, uh, week slash week and a half. Uh, the Lumineers are touring over in the east of Australia. Uh, they're not coming to the west, unfortunately, so I can't go. But uh, if anyone's a fan of indie music and anything like that, you want to take this opportunity to get along and see the lumineers at adelaide or uh, melbourne Uh, they've got a few dates out there
1: appreciate it thank you cool
2: uh other than that i think that's us um thanks john for the compliment and the the comments there and i'll just try and figure out how to play the outro music give me a second i think that's it here